Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In the big, bustling city of Shanghai, life has come to an abrupt standstill. The normally packed streets are now eerily empty. The crowded bars and restaurants shut. As residents of the city enter the fourth week of the world's strictest COVID lockdown, they're running out of food, medicine and patience. And there's no end in sight. There's probably 4,000 people in our, in our compound. So, and we've you know, tested every second day. And if one person out of those 4,000 has the case, then the clock resets. The residents aren't the only ones affected. As the world's busiest port is suddenly put on pause, the whole world is now starting to feel the impact of Shanghai's lockdown. I think it's only logical to think the whole global you know, supply chain is going to be disrupted. With panic now spreading to other cities like Beijing, who fear a similar lockdown, should China rethink its zero-COVID strategy? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Shanghai, China's new COVID crisis. We're lucky in our, our apartment is a reasonable size and we've got a decent balcony, so you know we we get outside. I our balcony's maybe ten meters long. So if I go up and down a hundred times, I can walk for a kilometer. I've you know I've done that a few times. That's Ian Moat, a British expat who's lived in China for years. He's currently holed up in his Shanghai apartment with his wife and young daughter. What I see, I look out the window at the back of our apartment. We overlook a river with a main road a couple of other major roads a bit further in distance. So they're usually teeming with traffic. Uh, and now, you know, if you see one or two cars going down them, it's, it's almost a surprise. There's a little bit of movement now. Certainly for the first 10 days, it was absolute ghost town. There was not a person to be seen. Inside our compound, usually, you know, it's late afternoon now on a sunny day, you'd have a lot of kids playing around and running around the playground. And it's just... I can't see anyone out at the moment as I look. It's just, it's just very, very quiet. So everyone's inside and, and no one's moving. If you, if you go out on your balcony, can you see other people out on theirs? Is that a way of communicating? We did have a balcony disco on the first week one night. 
the idea was supposed to be that apparently one of the people in our apartment block is a singer, so they were going to live stream their singing and everyone could sing along with it. Oh, wow. Didn't quite work out that way, but basically just everyone blasted music off their balcony for an hour. A lot of people got Christmas lights out and were waving Christmas lights around and people were singing and shouting and playing their own stuff and just venting a bit of steam by doing that, I think. Are you allowed to just go for a walk if you wanted some air? The idea is the government sets these rules and it's left down to the management of each compound to put them into place. So, you you know, in our compound, you've got a load of people who are office managers. Suddenly now they're in charge of people and having to dictate their behaviour. So there's a bit of a conflict there. If I went downstairs now, I could go out. I might get challenged or someone would just tell me to go home again. The difference is if your building has a case in it, then that building is absolutely locked and they will not allow you out of the door if you're in that building. This is a proper, proper lockdown in a way that very few people in the world will have experienced. Yes, it's more severe than last time. It's a bit harder to see a way out of it. At the moment, the strategy seems to be if your compound has no cases for 14 days, then we will open your compound and you can move around again. So certainly I know there was one on yesterday's case. So today is day one. At best, it'll be another two weeks. Um, But I don't know how long it's going to be. It could keep going for a very long time. So the lockdown in Shanghai, it was not expected. That's our Beijing correspondent, Didi Tang. Lockdowns have become a dim and distant memory for most of us in Europe. So how did Shanghai find itself shutting down now? So sometime in March, Shanghai started to report, you know, some cases here and there. And then we were looking at the initial numbers and the most cases, they were mild or they were considered asymptomatic. They did not look that bad. And also keep in mind, Shanghai probably is the best managed city in China when it comes to COVID. The whole city for the large part of the last two years has been operating in a very, very normal way. And Shanghai has always been praised for its like precision without disrupting the life to the majority of people. They can go down to a specific you know, area. They're trying to lock down maybe just one block and they will cut off the viral transmission very effectively. So people actually had lots of confidence in Shanghai. And there were questions like whether the city could go into full lockdown like other here Chinese cities. And the, the answer at the time was like, we don't see that happening. And actually two people were arrested for spreading a rumor that Shanghai was going to be locked down. But in late March, the city would find itself doing just that. Shanghai was suddenly split in half. They say, OK, we're going to do this like two-stage lockdown. We're going to lock down half of the city for four or five days. And we're going to lock down the other half of the city for another four to five days. And so everything should be done by April the 5th. And I think most people believed it because, you know, Shanghai government has been very effective and a very good governance in people's mind. Is a nine-day lockdown imposed by the authorities. It's that blunt, sometimes brutal instrument as they try to contain uh, the resurgent COVID-19 outbreak here in this country. In those days... After the lockdown, the numbers like soared. We started to see not hundreds, not thousands, but tens of thousands of cases. Most of those cases, they were considered mild. So there were some kind of debates if the approach should change, you know, let people stay home, let them, you know, self-isolating at home. 
rather than being sent to quarantine hospitals. Are people in China being sent to them if they've just got the virus? I mean, even for the mild cases, yes. how, how does it work? The policy is if you test it positive, you should go to the quarantine center. Well, what is it like inside these these quarantine centers? I mean, are they are they comfortable? Are you surrounded by people who are quite ill? What What is it like? So those quarantine centers, they were not ready, but they started to send people over there. Things were not finished. So when it rained, it leaked heavily. So it's kind of storm outside. You have a shower inside, you know, just the rain, <laughs> leaking roof, and then just like terrible, like cascading the rain. And no hot water, so you had to take a cold shower. And then they were also talking about the toilet. It's, I mean, so many people using so few toilets, and then there's overflow of the, the, the waste. And so they, oh they took the photos. They said, look, we're supposed to come here to recover. Under those circumstances, how can we recover, right? Yeah. Sounds like you're likely to catch something while you're in, in a situation like that. The elderly who have underlying diseases, they have also been sent to the quarantine center. There was no guarantee there will be enough care to look after the elderly. Some of them, you know, need to be fed or some of them, they need oxygen, you know, tank or they have special care. They need the medicine. It, it's a kind of chaos. But the point, I think the, the government's point is we're going to send all the you know, positive cases to the quarantine centers. So we can handle everything in this kind of closed loop. So then outside, everybody should be negative of the virus. Will they change that policy now? Will they get, will they stop sending people, not just because they run out of beds, but do you think they'll just realize that was a mistake? I don't think there's any kind of change to that policy. There are talks about, you know, home quarantine. And we're seeing kind of some kind of guidelines being issued, like if your home is big enough, if you can do that, right? But I think in reality, that's not happening. Not yet. So there are kind of talks people kind of, you know, reading into the policy. See, sometimes you can fall through the cracks, just, you know, government cannot get to you. <laughs> but if once they get to you, they're going to pull you from your home. They're going to, you know, break into your home and wow. force you to go to the quarantine center. And you can be like 3 a.m. in the morning. Once they get to it, you will do it. One woman on the ground shouting, I beg you, please. Others being dragged away. The videos went viral on social media here before being pulled down by censors. I mean, that's remarkable. And Didi, from here, from what you say, it sounds like there clearly have been a number of cases in Shanghai, but it sounds a bit like an Omicron wave. So there's there's lots of it, but actually people are getting sort of milder symptoms than, than earlier variations. And yet, tell us a bit about the sort of lockdown that Shanghai has gone into, because looking at the news reports from here, it's not like any lockdown we would recognise. No one dreamed they'd ever see this. Shanghai, China's cosmopolitan dynamo, empty and silent. Empty. It's empty, empty, so you cannot leave home. I don't think there's enough like manpower actually to, to enforce that. But, you know, people actually, a lot of people, most people, they're probably supportive of the rules. They follow the rules. They will stay home. They won't go venture outside the, the, the residential compound. They are complaining about the food shortage and also the prices are high. And it's not like you can go to the supermarket or you can buy from the online kind of shopping site. If it's the government telling you you're not allowed to go out even to shop, right. isn't the government stepping in? Aren't they providing food? Because otherwise people, people won't have food. <laughs> This time in Shanghai, everybody is talking about the food shortage. Like, okay, you have just enough to get by, but sometimes you probably will go hungry. In one of the world's richest cities, residents scream, give us food. <laughs> Last week, they were so hungry, they ransacked a grocery store. 
In this apartment complex, a woman screams, we are starving to death. Last week, a man was filmed venting his fury on the phone. What am I supposed to buy, he shouts. What do I eat? You're driving us to our deaths. And Didi, I mean, some of the reports we're reading here just sound so surprising. They're talking about things like robot dogs and, and drones. Right. Are you hearing about that? Well, yeah, yeah, what yeah. exactly are robot dogs? How does this work? So the robot dog I've seen, you know, the video is they will have this robot patrolling the neighborhood streets to tell people stay home. It's a robot dog walking around the neighborhood telling you not to go out. Not to go out and wash your hands, to have your home that fully ventilated and do not gather, practice good personal hygiene, those kind of general those guidelines and directives for you to stay home. And you have the drones. And the drones is like the police, maybe one person in the park flying the kite and the drone will be there and say, hey, this is the pandemic time, go home, please. You're not supposed to go outside. But I think the, the most hilarious thing was people, they go to the balcony at night and then to say, look, we want freedom or something like this. We want food. And I think the report is, you have the Jones to say, like, control your desire for freedom, something like this. Control your desire for freedom. <laughs> yeah, I think that was pretty wow. hilarious. Yeah. And Didi, it sounds like people are questioning whether having this zero COVID strategy is a good idea, but clearly nobody thinks it's going to change. Tell us a bit about that. What made the Chinese government decide they were going to pursue a zero infection policy? And, and you know, is it is it working? So here, OK, the reality here is the Chinese vaccine, as we know, are not as effective. But that said, if you have the booster shot, if you have the three dose, right, at least yeah. it actually has been proved to be pretty effective at preventing severe cases and also the fatalities. It's not enough old people, the elderly people, they're not vaccinated. Why is that? So it's a little kind of a different policy in China than in the West. The priority groups were considered the frontline essential workers, people who are working in the hospitals. And the people who are, you know, doing the delivery, people who are in the customs, right? Those people, and also taxi drivers, they were among the first groups of people who were getting vaccinated. And then for the elderly, I think they wanted to make sure the vaccines would be safe for people who are, I think was the, what, 60 and above, right? So so those are vaccines. And the plus in, in 2020, 2021, China actually was pretty successful at, you know, keeping the virus out. So a lot of people did not see the point just because China had those like very strict measures. So there was no major outbreaks. So elderly people, they did not see the point of getting the vaccines. And they have to wait, what are the odds I'm getting infected, you know, versus the, the side effects of the vaccines. And then Chinese people somehow mm. had this like, they're obsessed about side effects. So the vaccination rate among the elderly is not very high. And we don't have to look very far to know the consequences. We can only just look at Hong Kong. Hong Kong is very similar in that sense to China, right? Hong Kong was pretty good at, you know, keeping the virus out. And we all know about what happened during the fifth wave of Hong Kong. Just remind us of, of what happened. Right. In Hong Kong, I think it was in February, right? And then so Hong Kong actually had the highest fatality rate anywhere in the world during the fifth wave, probably only like 100, 200 people died until December last year. 
Now the number is in the thousand, the death toll. It's feared that Hong Kong could run out of coffins within days. In under three months, Hong Kong's recorded nearly a million infections and more than 4,600 deaths. And it's like hitting the elderly people the hardest. And then again, in Hong Kong, for the same reasons, right? The elderly, they did not see the point of getting the vaccination because they did not think things would get out of control. So in, in China, I think there's a legitimate concern by the Chinese government. The elderly population is going to take a hit. Coming up, will the Chinese government change their zero COVID policy? But first. I'm Megan Agnew. I'm a commissioning editor and writer at the Sunday Times magazine. I organise and write interviews with politicians, stroppy heartthrob actors who absolutely don't want to be there, authors, artists, and features on a whole range of issues. We can only do this thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times. Subscribe today by visiting thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. no one ever expected a city like this could be locked down and could be so cleared of people. And also, you know, particularly Shanghai, because it's, you know, it's quite an international city. Exactly. Is it the financial hub? You have, it's a port. I mean, what effect is this having? I think the government is willing to sacrifice the economy to some extent to control the pandemic. So, of course, we know the Tesla, the factory closed down. The iPhone factories, they also have closed down. Automotive and electronic suppliers already feeling the effects. Tesla's Gigafactory shut down. Apple's chip supplier Foxconn open at just 60% capacity. I think all the other, like the, the car makers in the, the plants in Shanghai, they have closed. They lost a lot of like parts factories and they cannot produce or the parts cannot come in into the city. So this whole supply chain has been disrupted. 
I don't know if the government is going to come out to tally, you know, how much has been lost economically yeah. to the pandemic. I'm sure the number is going to be huge, but I don't think the government is going to tell us. At the end of the year, they will still say, look, you know, we still do better than the U.S., than the U.K. We're still, you know, <laughs> we, we still have been very you know, successful. And then if we can control this pandemic, actually, it's worthwhile cost. So because the vaccination program hasn't been rolled up effectively amongst the elderly, there is a real risk if, if they do open up restrictions. I guess that the question a lot of people will have, though, is, I mean, are people starting to wonder whether this is excessive. a proportionate response? Yes, yeah. excessive. I think definitely people are questioning because most people have been vaccinated. But is anyone going to have the courage to abandon the current policy to say, mm. let's risk, let's take a chance, right? If you are the politician, right, if you're the policymaker, are you going to take that chance? What if? I think that's the biggest fear. Do you have that political courage to say, let's try something different? Is there sort of a public discussion about any of that, looking at other countries and how they've done it? Definitely. I think, you know, people are talking about it. And actually, some health experts in China, they have come out to say, look, there's no way you can eliminate the virus. We have to learn to live with it. So, Didi, if nobody is going to make that political decision, if that's too difficult... What is the way out of this for China? I don't know. People are kind of curious because at this point, President Xi, he says, we're not going to abandon this. So that's very clear. Okay, there's no question yeah. about it. And then we've seen those editorials, we see those commentaries in the state media. So the highest leadership has its mind, you know, made up. I think at some point, the government has to come. Once economic costs are getting too much, maybe, yeah. maybe, someone's going to come up to say something, something different. And with this, I mean, would one way out be to accelerate their vaccination program or to get more vaccines from other countries that have a better efficacy rate? Right. China somehow is developing its own mRNA vaccine. I don't think it has been very successful because we haven't seen any major kind of a rollout. And is China going to allow foreign vaccines? Are we going to wait until China finally gets its own mRNA vaccine? I don't know. And in the meantime, people are clearly getting very anxious about these incredibly strict lockdowns. Will public pressure force a change of policy? Online, I start to see people starting to question this COVID measures. But I always want to caution, sometimes we amplify those protesting voices and then we have to consider most people are okay with it. And how about the expat community? I worked in London uh, in banking for a long time, and then the bank I was with transferred me to Asia just over 20 years ago. I really enjoyed this part of the world. That's Ian again. And then I got a phone call at the end of 2008 to move to Shanghai, and I came out here then, met my wife out here, We've had a child out here as well. Shanghai's been a home to me for a long period of time. I feel pretty pretty settled here. Ian chose to live in Shanghai, but how does he feel about it now? A lot of people are quite upset. The fact that people haven't been home in a long time, it, it really bothers them. I think a lot of people here generally are OK to be locked down if they felt they are being kept safe by doing so. Mm. A lot of the issue here is that people still have a lot of fear for this. And a lot of people here don't want to live with it. They still fear it. But they are willing to go through quite a lot of hardship in order to eradicate it. The issue this time has been a bit more about what the way out of it is and 
are we going to get out anytime soon? And I think people always thought, well, six months time will be out. Six months time, they'll open the travel up and you couldn't. And now you're going to think, well, there's no way, no way can I go back to London in six months and come straight home. You know, 20 years I've lived abroad and it's been based on the idea of globalization. I think that idea is broken. And if it is, then for a lot of expats who live here, that underpinning assumption isn't there anymore and it, it doesn't work. I speak to a lot of people here who've lived here a long time, they're upset. And a lot of people are saying, well, when this is over, we're out. Um, you know, they, they, they've had enough. And I think there'll be a, a big drain of the expat population from here. You'll see a lot of people leaving in the next year. And maybe even also some of the more affluent, overseas educated Chinese might start going as well. Two weeks ago, this Chinese economist, his mom died at the door to the emergency room while she was waiting for her PCR test result to return. During those four hours, she died. And this economist, he came out to say, look, things have changed. Do we still have to do the same things that we did in 2020? So what I see is a lot of people reposting, sharing what he says. So I think that speaks volume of what the members of public are thinking. But when that happened, it was like, hey, could that change the general policy? And then very quickly, you see editorials, you see commentaries, you know, clearly representing the will of the central government to say something like, we have to stick to this like zero infection policy. So that's a very, very clear sign. And I think people in Shanghai also know this very clearly. The policy is not going to change and you had to put up with it. Maybe you can fight for your individual rights as much as you can, but the overall, the policy is not going to change. And I think it's really sad. And that's like speaks of people who are living outside Shanghai. We have lots of sympathy for people who are living in Shanghai, but we also know if this should happen in our city, the same thing is going to happen. If Shanghai cannot fight it, no other city can fight it. Shanghai probably has the best chance to propose something different from this very rigid zero infection policy. And Shanghai has not succeeded. So what are the chances, what are the odds for the other Chinese city to do it? Probably zero. So that kind of has translated into what people are doing outside Shanghai. Is we're buying things, we're buying pasta, we're buying rice, we're buying really? school clothes. Yes, exactly. So in, in, in cities around China where there isn't even a lockdown, people are now even panic buying. Right, right, in cities, because we know if that happens. Stockpiling. Right, yeah. we're stockpiling. Panic buying in shoes in the Chinese capital of Beijing. Residents fear they could be in for a lockdown similar to that of Shanghai. So we're stocking up on essentials and also stocking up for my parents. You know, my parents are living in another city and, you know, they're in their 70s. So I'm also starting to buy things for, for them and then to tell them to stock up on medicine as well. It hasn't happened, but it should happen. We don't want to meet Shanghai people. They have paid the price, right? We're seeing what they're suffering. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times, with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, Beijing correspondent for The Times, Didi Tang and Ian Moat. You can read more of Didi's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. 
The producers today were Oliver Adamson and Sam Chantarasak. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you'd like to get in touch with us with any ideas for future episodes or any thoughts on what you've just heard, then please do drop us a line to storiesofourtimes at thetimes.co.uk. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow. <laughs>